When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. days of the College World Series in Omaha are in the books. We've got a couple of teams already eliminated in Virginia and Stanford who each go 0-2. Florida and Wake Forest are each 2-0 in a pair of elimination games. Coming up on Tuesday, TCU Oral Roberts, LSU in Tennessee. Kyle Schasperger and David Kahn are here to chat about it over the next hour or so. David Kahn at SportsCon4. I'm at Kyle Schass. Khan, you have a perfect bracket number two to this point. I don't believe you saw it unfolding the way that it has thus far. We've had, man, some massive drama on both sides, but especially with LSU and Wake Forest on Monday night as we come to you the morning after. What a well-played, I put quotation marks around that because (laughs) there were some really drama-filled moments, you know, where that game could have turned in either direction. Uh, The strike zone was in question much of the game, but I think that's where we need to start, David. Again, Virginia and Stanford are gone. We'll revisit some of the earlier games in the tournament. We have Florida and Wake Forest now waiting each one win away from reaching the College World Series final. And TCU Oral Roberts, LSU, Tennessee to duke it out to try to extend their stay. But LSU Wake Forest was a dandy for a number of different reasons on Monday night. Yeah, it certainly was. First of all, the strike zone was non-existent. I mean, that was awful. I, I have no clue what Corey Moser, the home plate umpire, was seeing last night, but he was just all over the place. Uh, it, it, that was really, really tough to watch for two teams that were playing a really good baseball game. And there were some kind of, you know, cringeworthy moments. You had Adam Ciceri missing the ball in left field due to the sun, and then you saw it in the dugout right after that inning. You know, Tom Walter comes up to him and says, hey, flush it, go to the plate and do your job. And you saw Ty Floyd looking Paul Skeens-esque for LSU. I mean, he was filthy 
and then all of a sudden, the errant pickoff throw, and Ty Floyd goes Jekyll and Hyde, and he's off. And Wake takes advantage. They get into the bullpen. Thatcher Hurd was hit or miss, and the Deeks, you know, ultimately come out on top with, again, another eighth-inning comeback. Danny Corona this time scoring the winning run instead of being the uh, one to drive in the winning run. That was Bennett Lee who drove it in, uh, the former two-lane catcher now transferring to Wake Forest. And then, of course, when you have Cam Nasty on the mound, I mean, it's lights out. Deeks, Deeks win and, and knock LSU into the loser's bracket. So that was my favorite game of the eight so far. All of them have had a lot of drama, and it's been fun, you know, starting with game one. Oral Roberts with Blaze Brothers hitting the go-ahead three-run homer in the top of the ninth inning, and they knock TCU into the loser's bracket. But I think just the top two teams in terms of not rankings, but the only two teams that have been number one all season long going at it for the first time ever, and we get that as a game, oh, yeah, like give me more of that. I want two more games of that. It was the matchup we had been salivating over much of the season, right, asking yeah. for Paul Skeens or Rhett Lauder, which is still in play <laughs> potentially. Thursday, if LSU, probably. If LSU can beat Tennessee on Tuesday and then beat Wake Forest on Wednesday to force a Game 7, again, treat this College World Series bracket one and bracket two as two separate regionals, to set up a winner goes to the College World Series, okay, Backs up against the wall, Wake Forest and LSU potentially on Thursday. That could be the game. I think it would have to be where we would see Rhett Lauder and Paul Skeens go toe-to-toe. With each then, for either side that would win, you wouldn't see that starter again until no. maybe a Monday, if necessary, game three of the championship series. And even then, that's on what, four, days, four rest. days rest. Mm-hmm. So, uh Give me all the gummy snakes in the world, though, man. The Oral Roberts story, they're going up against TCU in game one on Tuesday. Oral Roberts with that comeback, as you mentioned, Blaze Brothers. Man, those those gummy snakes, I can't tell you. We bought a bag on our road trip back from Chicago, <laughs> driving back on Sunday. I had a bag of gummy snakes, Con. I kid you not, was the size of a bowling ball. Okay? It was wow. massive. And I housed three-fourths of that bag <laughs> on one ten-and-a-half-hour drive. And, man, my belly was doing somersaults down I-35, <laughs> heading through Ohio, West Virginia, the high country, on my way back down to North Carolina. But, man, it was worth every gummy snake, every penny. Uh, that is so cool. And it's the first base coach. I, I read a story on it. I don't know if you recall how exactly it had started. I think it was their trip to Fargo where they so. were supposed to play North Dakota State and Fargo. They ended up moving that to Council Bluffs, Iowa, because there was still snow and flooding that was uh, wreaking havoc and impeding that game from taking place at what had been Newmore, uh, Newman Outdoor Field. So, in, so it was at that time at like a rest stop or a gas station that they had loaded up on these gummy snakes, and from there it took a mind of its own. So it was since that would have been early May, I want to say, end of April, uh, that these gummy snakes have been in play, and they've taken a life of their own. And good on ORU uh, for being able to channel those, those late-inning heroics Good on Wake Forest, okay, for overcoming deficits in the eighth inning now in each of their games, down 2-1 against Stanford, down 2-0 against LSU. And, and you bring up Ty Floyd, who was schemes like He had 10 strikeouts. He was masterful. He was unhittable nearly through, what, nearly six full innings. It was in the sixth inning mm-hmm. where things got a little haywire after the pickoff throws you indicated, but he walked the bases loaded. Hurt came in. It was almost an impossible situation, but still – he was able – just two runs came in. So you escape, you keep the game tied. And we've got some sound that we want to bring back as as we got into the eighth inning. Stan Cotton and Larry Sorensen 
on the Wake Forest Sports Network. They're there in Omaha. And the eighth inning, if Wake Forest is able to seal this deal and win their first College World Series since 1955, sure, you can go back to Danny Corona and his his go-ahead RBI in the eighth inning against Stanford in Game 1 and Corona again at the center of it against LSU. But this entire eighth inning, LSU has runners at the corners and nobody out, yet somehow the Deeks are able to get out of trouble. And the pitch, fastball hit on the ground to Brock Wilkin at third, hesitates, throws home, the tag applied out at the plate. What a play by Wilkin to get the ball to the plate and keep the score at two to two. Holy shamoly. Shamoli, Larry Sorensen, former big leaguer himself. I love it. Um, what wasn't described there, and I'm sure they expanded upon they it moments later, was what Bennett Lee did at the plate, how he was able to pick that. Now, I know he said in the post game with Chris Budden, look, I just relied on my training, which is one of my phrases, and, you know, I work on my picks quite a bit. But to be blinded by a throw on the outside of the base path at third base, because that was such a difficult play for Brock Wilkin to make, moving to his right into foul ground. Uh, the ball getting stuck in his webbing, kind of a double clutch. He had to reach, dig in for it more, caused him to rush the throw, and he skipped it in in such a way where there's no way Bennett Lee could have seen that ball no. being released from Wilkin with Trey Morgan charging down the third base line, yet somehow makes this ridiculous pick off the deck, and then applies the tag, a play that would be reviewed. And look, if Morgan was called safe, I don't think there's any way you overturn it Mm -hmm. because there was not enough video evidence to be able to overturn that play. So the call was confirmed, but my God, Con, I mean, that was – that has – that is the play of the tournament thus far, hands down. And what would happen later in the bottom of the eighth is further indication of that, which is why this is such a banner moment for Wake Forest if they're able to parlay this into an eventual CWS championship. But what'd you make of the, the play in the top of the eighth, which came again with no outs. That was out number one. Trey Morgan was in what was called red. He was running on contact. And then Wake's able to roll up a double play afterwards. Yeah, and Jay Johnson said in the postgame press conference, he's going to run on that 100 times out of 100 because if you don't, it's a double play ball, and then you need a base hit to score the runner from third with two outs because, like you said, there was nobody out. So it's the right decision to run. Brock Wilkin, apparently the ball was still spinning in his glove, which is why you see him kind of double pump and hesitate before he throws the ball to Bennett Lee. But he's throwing across his body, in into the line of Trey Morgan. So yeah, Bennett Lee has no clue where the ball actually is. He's just trusting that Wilkins going to put it over the plate and he's going to have to make a swipe tag and get it. Amazing. I mean, it's an otherworldly play. And I think you're absolutely right. Whatever the call on the field was, was going to stand. Now it looked out on the replays. It looked like Bennett Lee did nick the right knee of Trey Morgan before he dove over the top and tapped the plate. Uh, you know, uh, on the play, but the throw, the wherewithal to wait for the ball to stop spinning and then make an accurate one-hopper where Bennett Lee has a chance, a prayer, to get Trey Morgan at the plate and then Lee to just go, I hope it's here, and then all of a sudden, boom, tag, he's out. Everything had to go right. Every single element of that play had to go right for Wake Forest to get Trey Morgan out, and then... Tom Walter pushes the correct button again, takes out Michael Massey, brings in his closer, one pitch double play inning over. As a catcher for 13, 14 years of my life, I don't think I ever Just like re- Paul received a ball 
at that angle, yeah. that that short of an angle. Now, a ball might be overthrown at third where it goes up against the wall, but you've got more of a lane, more of more of a direct angle where somebody can make the throw up against the dugout or against foul, ter- foul territory, you know, even further down the left field line to you. This was such a, a tunnel, such a lane that I, I'm still marveling over the fact, lack of lane, that Bennett Lee was able to scoop it the way that he did. I mean, that was just a, a sensational, sensational play. And that is going to, you know, the college baseball equivalent, if we had one of one shining moment, that would be yes. among the most epic plays that would be on there that would that would follow or prelude, you know, the eventual dog pile and national champion celebration uh, that Wake Forest is hoping to obtain. But not so fast. They still got work to do. They are one win away. Uh, and they are one win away because of what happened in the bottom of the eighth inning. And it's Bennett Lee doing it with his glove, but then also doing it with his bat. One-two pitch. Hit to the left side. That's going to be a base hit. Corona will dig for third. They will wave him home. And he will come in ahead of the throw, which is cut off. And Wake Forest leads it in the eighth inning. On the RBI single off the bat of catcher Bennett Lee, and the Deacons produce in the bottom of the eighth just like they did against Stanford on Saturday. With Larry Sorensen, that is Stan Cotton from Learfield. Corona scores what would be the game-winning run in the bottom of the eighth inning. LSU went down 1-2-3 in the top of the ninth, and the Deeks, again, 2-0 like Florida. Both the Gators and the Demon Deacons are one win away from the College World Series Finals, which will start on Saturday, game two on Sunday, if necessary, on Monday. But how about Danny Corona? Let's let's wax on him a little bit. A kid that came through against Stanford when Wake Forest was down. Rhett Lauder had a miserable start to that game, was able to pitch himself out of damage. This was on Saturday. Uh, really struggled with his control, was able to minimize, though, uh, the Cardinal attack in, in spite of you know, really just putting guys on at will. He was able to get comfortable, still a short stint for him. He wasn't himself. Uh, but Wake, again, collectively as a pitching staff, was able to keep themselves in it and put the Stanford Cardinal bats uh, and offense at bay, put him on ice. Brock Wilkin came through, tied the game at one. Stanford goes back on top, 2-1. Wake pulls even again. And then Danny Corona, who had the go-ahead RBI uh, in the eighth inning, again, the eighth inning for Wake Forest now in back-to-back games. But, Con, I, I saw with Corona, you know, his parents had him when he was very young. They were both in high school. They had to drop out of high school. They had to go into a housing project in New York City. And I, I just can't imagine what all they've had to do, okay, and how hard and difficult it's been, the sacrifices that they've made to be able to afford Danny Corona the opportunities that he's had in baseball. And now for him to be able to pay it back, you know, to his biggest supporters, to his parents, to his family, to Wake Forest and this this starved fan base. Again, no title since 55, no appearance in Omaha since 55, but more importantly for himself to, to overcome all odds to be in this position and to come through again. It really is a terrific story for Danny Corona. It certainly is. And Danny Corona, you know, comes from, you know, baseball, a baseball family, and his family was, you know, more concerned about his education if he was going to go continue to try and be a baseball player. They sent him to a boarding school, in fact, in his early years. But they sent him to a boarding school with a 100% graduation rate. Because they're like, if you want to play, be a professional athlete, you need to get your education. And we're going to make sure that you go to a school where you're going to get your education and you're going to graduate. And he did. And now Danny Crone is doing big things on the highest stage. I think he actually said his parents aren't even there. Like, I think his dad had to go home. His dad liked one of my tweets last night. So nice. he, he at least he's is watching. Yeah. He's watching. He, he's there. He's present. Yeah. Um, did see uh, Did see on TV 
Dylan and Michelle Finkst were I, on the screen. I didn't see Michelle, but I saw Dylan because our boy Stephen Schaap yes. retweeted it. And yes, that's where you could see Michelle. Half her face is in that shot. And, of course, the, the Finks near and dear to our heart. Michelle, uh, who is our office administrator working the front desk, uh, notably absent uh, here <laughs> over the last few days, as I have been too. But uh, she hopes to be gone at least for another week or so. Uh, she enjoys her son and that team. Her son is bullpen catcher uh, in – in uh, Lyle, and then then Dylan, who's wearing the the donkey brand snapback hat, which I have one as well. Not the same one uh, that Dylan has, but but follow uh, Stephen Shock on Twitter. I was listening to him driving in this morning, Con, on Tuesday morning, as we record, and he did note one of the reasons why Brock Wilkin was having as much trouble in his in his glove as he was having is because he's using a discontinued model of a Wilson A. 3000, 2000? What are we doing? I forget what it is. It's an Evan Longoria model that the criticism of that specific glove which enabled it or paved the way for it being discontinued was the webbing was too big oh so the ball does spin or kind of get lost in there uh so brock wilkin who's you know still Wilson, using that glove get my man a new glove, get him a new glove. what well, are we doing I mean, come on it's, it's gonna be difficult for the guy to if he's comfortable with one yeah he's not he's, okay. he's gonna find a way you know he's gonna find a way so uh awesome for wake lsu has to rebound against tennessee in game two tonight um you want to talk about Tennessee a little bit? Yeah. Let's... Down 4 nothing against Stanford in an elimination game. They come back. But not only do they come back, they get six shutout innings from Chase Burns. Chase Burns comes in out of the pen, gives six shutout frames. First pitcher in 26 years to do so at the College World Series. And how about this, kind? I might be stealing some of your thunder, which I always strive to do because you, you are the numbers guy. And, and very often – I got plenty. Very often I, re- I repeat you, but, but trust me, I, I think I've been doing better with that. You have. So since Chase Burns gave up seven runs by the fourth inning on April 7th against Florida, mm-hmm. this is what he's done. Ten games, 30 and two-thirds, and just seven runs in ten games since. What? He gave up seven and four innings against Florida. He's given up seven runs in ten games since then. Coming out of the pen. 30 and two-thirds, right? Yeah, 30 and two-thirds. Two, 2.05 ERA in ten games. Unbelievable. And he's gone out there. He's given it 110% every time he's come out of the pen, stopping the bleeding, helping to provide a spark, whatever it may be. He has been the stopper in so many big-time moments for this Tennessee ball club down the stretch, and it continued as they delivered the knockout blow to Stanford on Monday. Yeah, and here's the thing. So the Men's College World Series NCAA account tweeted, that's the best performance of the Men's College World Series since 1969. Six innings, two hits, nine strikeouts, no runs, as you alluded to, no walks either. The move of the year for Tony Vitello, if Tennessee goes on, you know what, they don't have to do anything else. The move of the year is moving Chase Burns to the bullpen. Because things weren't working in the rotation. Whatever it was, I don't know. We don't know. We will never know because Tony Vitello and Chase Burns will keep that very tight to the chest under under lock and key and padlock. And, you know, it's chained up. We, we, won't, we will never find out the true reasons and uh, what was aching Chase Burns as a starter. Oh, my goodness. I mean, him in the bullpen, nasty. And, and he put it all together on the highest stages. We've seen plenty of guys do so far here in Omaha in, in various capacities, Hurston Waldrop as well to name a one when we get to Florida. But, yeah, Chase Burns, my goodness. And also it snapped just this long, you know, losing streak for Tennessee at the Men's College years. World Series. They had not won a game since 2001. They were 0-6 in their previous six games. 
going back to 2001, they finally get a W. They knock out Stanford, even with them pitching the guy with the rubber arm and Quinn Matthews, who only went five innings. And, you know, he, he gave Stanford the lead. And then all of a sudden, Cardinal bullpen, as has happened, just unraveled. Six unanswered runs, Tennessee wins, and, and Stanford goes 0-2 again. But, they look like but, LSU's bullpen from last month. Seriously. But, but yeah, you can't, you can't wax poetic enough on how amazing Chase Burns was because Dolander only went three innings. And you go, uh-oh. Like, you know, you only get three innings from your guy in Dolander, and Lindsey didn't throw very much. But here's the thing. Chase Burns carried the load to get them to play LSU tonight. So, Lindsey's fresh. Dolander's fresh. They're pitching beam tonight. They've only had to use two relievers, I believe, Tennessee. So, I can't remember from game one what happened. Let how me, much? How long did Lindsey go in? I'm pulling oh, I, that up. I have it up. I have every box score up, and I've yet to use him to this point. I have them up, too, and I'm, I'm, I'm refreshing to make sure I have the right numbers. So, okay, Tennessee used a bunch of relievers, but none of them went more than 30 pitches, and that was back on Saturday. And so, Lindsey went three and two-thirds. Yeah, and threw 72 pitches. So, technically, he's probably not going to – I mean, he's not available tonight, but he would be available tomorrow and Thursday. Sure. So, they're throwing beam tonight. They've got all their host of relievers because Halverson threw 31, but that was back on Saturday. He's ready to rip. You know, Chase Burns is the only one who's not available. So, take Burns and Lindsey out of the equation and Dolander. You've got beam and every other reliever they've got ready to rip. And Lindsey can come back and start tomorrow, and Dolander can come back and start Thursday. Do we know who LSU's going with? I would guess J.B. Coleman. Coleman. Okay. Yeah, because Thatcher Hurd went 70 pitches. Yeah. I would imagine it's Coleman. I don't know. Coleman and – have we seen Christian Little at all in the no, postseason? No, that was my other thought. Is it going to be Little? Has he pitched at all? I don't know. Let, let me pull this up with Little. I know because Thatcher Hurd did not pitch in the Super Regional. I, I don't think Christian Little has pitched in the postseason. In the like, postseason Like going period. back to Hoover. Yes. All right. So, J.B. and Coleman, you can go – so, Gidry, what did he throw? A pitch? He got removed after a, one pitch on Saturday against Tennessee because yep. he gave up the bomb, right? Yep, that was it. And then Cooper came in and gave one and one third. I mean, he's a Swiss Army knife. Jay Johnson's gonna gonna ride him whenever Cooper and how and often he, you're gonna he, have he can. To. Yeah. So you know, Javian Coleman, who is who has been sensational in my <laughs> opinion since coming back from from Tommy John and making his debut in April, and they had been building him up, but we didn't really even see Javian Coleman no. in Hoover. He hasn't really had just many opportunities as. Christian Little hasn't pitched since May 20th. May 20th, before mm -hmm. Hoover. So that was the Georgia series. Yep. Or, or the midweek, even. It was, it was the Georgia okay. series, yeah. Right. That was it. It was, it was the seri regular season finale against Georgia. I don't know about JV and Coleman. I'm looking that up right now. But Christian Little has not pitched since May 20th. And his outings, he went, he didn't record an out against Auburn. How many batters did he face? Let's see. Batters face against Auburn. He faced five hitters. Didn't record an out. Recorded an out and faced five hitters against Mississippi State. He also allowed four runs, all earned. That was that 14-13 to 13 game that mm -hmm. LSU lost. Mm -hmm. And then at Georgia, faced six hitters, recorded two outs, mm -hmm. and allowed a run. And J.V. and Coleman, by the way, only pitched once in Hoover against Texas A&M on May the 26th. Went two-thirds of an inning, gave up two hits, two strikeouts. That's it. Hasn't pitched since then. 13 runs Christian Little has allowed over his last five appearances. Not good. So I, I would imagine that, that – Are they JV rusty? Are they fresh? <laughs> I mean, you bring Christian Little out, you're hoping that you can have a four-run lead. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then you let Christian Little go yeah. out there yeah. so you can preserve some of these other guys 
for Wake Forest on Wednesday night. And and Thursday. And Thursday, yes. You, I don't think uh, people are going to say, oh, we can pitch Skeens on four days rest. No. No. He threw 123 pitches, and, and his 46 final... of them were over 100 miles yes. per hour. In- including, I think, the last one. Again, just yeah. like when he had that complete game his la- against Tulane, his last pitch, which was like 124th pitch, yeah. was 100 or 101. Yeah. <laughs> like, the guy is still – and he threw his – I was listening to the uh, – you probably caught this too, the in-game interview mm-hmm. with him yes. yesterday on ESPN. Great interview. Yeah, w- very good. And they were talking about how he knew he had to use the changeup more mm-hmm. against Tennessee probably more than he had used all season mm-hmm. because Tennessee was, you know, they had made the adjustments on a slider and his fastball, but he was working that in. And my guy still had, what? how many strikeouts was it? 12? 12. Yeah. 12 Seven and two-thirds and 12, 12 strikeouts. Yeah. Yeah. And they were they wanted so badly to get him through those eight innings. Yeah. but uh, Couldn't do it. Could, couldn't do it. But still, uh, Tennessee and LSU, part two, will be phenomenal theater tonight. That will follow TCU and Oral Roberts. We've got another nugget on LSU and an update with the Rocco's Jello Shot oh. Challenge. But before we do, let's 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 send a little bit of love to the Florida Gators and what they were able to do in their first game, which came oh, let's go all the way back to Friday when ORU was taking on or Florida rather. Who were they playing? Virginia, Virginia in this yeah. game? Gosh. They were down five three. Five three in the ninth inning. But the Gators weren't out of it. Change up. This ball is drilled. Deep left field, and this ball game is all tied up. Completely out of the stadium. Wyatt just sent one over the grandstands, and two solo shots here in the ninth have even this ball game at five apiece. Wow. Jeff Cardozo from Learfield. The other home run came off the bat of Ty Evans earlier in the ninth inning. Langford's blast, though, Con, which would tie the game. Uh, Luke Heyman had the sacrifice fly, the game-winning RBI later in the inning that helped Florida win 6-5. to five. Again, one of six games that have all been decided by one run here through eight completed games Amazing. at the College World Series as we played four full days. But that Langford bomb, 456 feet. <laughs> oh, my goodness. He tatered it. What a tater. He, that he, is. He had a, he had a ding-dong. That is a dong as if I've ever seen a dong right there. That is the dong of all dongs. Yeah, that was – here's the crazy thing. I didn't realize this until Rob Anderson, who if you don't follow Rob Anderson, the Creighton Sports Information Director, he is the nugget master. He puts me to shame in terms of the College World Series stuff he's putting out there right now. I steal all of his stuff. So Langford, previously 2 for 23 before that dong, hitless in the Super Regionals. White Langford was hitless in the sweep of South Carolina. And he comes up in the biggest moment of the Florida season and mashes one out to tie the game, and Heyman wins it moments later. You can't write a better script. Like, all these big-time moments from big-time players are happening on the highest stage. We talked about Skeens. We talked about Burns. We're talking about Langford. We talked about Bennett Lee. We talked about Danny Corona. All these dudes are stepping up and putting on a show on the highest stage of college baseball, and I love it. This is what the College World Series should be. All of these games should be tight because it's the best, quote-unquote, eight teams in college baseball. And you know what? They're all playing like it. Even Stanford and Virginia, who went 0-2. Well, Kyle Teal went without a hit through his two games. So that, that is one exception, yeah. unfortunate part 
uh, of the rule. And uh, still kind of waiting on a Dylan Cruz moment. He's He's been quiet. He was 0 for 3 yesterday. Yeah, he walked in his last I thought he was yeah. going to strike out for a third time. So did I. I think it was a full count. Yeah. He ended up drawing a walk yeah. when he was up. I'm like, no way this guy strikes <laughs> out a third time. He didn't, but yeah. like, we're still waiting on Dylan. That's my pick to click for, mm. for Tuesday. That is my Shasperger surefire lock is that Dylan Cruz does something special. Okay. Is he with homer? The bat. Yeah, he homers. Okay, tonight against, homer Tennessee? against Tennessee. All right, on Tuesday. Okay, he's homering. Lock okay. it in, folks. And if and get if, yourself to the sports book in Ohio. And if he doesn't homer, I'll take a jello shot. Oh, I'll probably take a jello yeah, shot. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say. I don't know if there's any remaining after LSU went there. Uh, one more highlight though that I want to get to: Oral Roberts, and and you brought up the dramatics of what ORU was able to do in coming back against TCU. Those two will meet again today, Tuesday, in Game 1. A rematch, ORU coming from behind, thanks to the bat of Blaze Brothers in the top of the ninth inning against TCU. Here's the 0-1. That ball is crushed. A deep left field. Get gone, baseball. It is so gone. Blaze Brothers with a three-run homer has put the Golden Eagles on top of the ninth. We said he was due, Jared Hardwick. We said he was due. Twin snakes all around, baby. Let's get it going. Blaze Brothers with a three-run jack has put the Golden Eagles on top six to five. Adam Hildebrand on the Oral Roberts Sports Network. I think you actually shared with me the video of how he was saying a couple of innings earlier how this guy was due, how Blaze Brothers. Yeah, I cut that out of the highlight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you cut that out. You yes. just pulled. But right. – or you put up the mashup of yes. like them talking about it prior and then flashing forward to it actually happening at the game's biggest moment in the top of the ninth inning. I love the call, though, from Hildebrandt because there, were, there was so much emotion and like genuine passion, which is what you want out of these school broadcasters. It, it's what uh, this is the industry work we work in, so we yeah. really appreciate that, uh, especially when it comes to fruition and these guys, you know, nail a call. Sure, we can poke and prod and say – um, or, or a lot of people, I'm sure, would say, oh, that, that was corny, or, or yada, yada. I'm like, no, that is like genuine like passion coming through he the microphone. He was smiling. He was smiling. Smile when you broadcast. Grinning, grinning ear to ear. Yeah. You, you can see with the play-by-play cam that was on him in the booth. So just awesome moment uh, for ORU. And, and, yeah, the twin snakes. They had the bag in the booth. They were yeah. throwing them around. It was throwing. awesome. Yeah, because it's got the snake heads on each yeah. side. That's what they call them, the twin snakes. A- apparently, they act, the first base coach who has the twin snakes takes them out of a bag in the dugout and puts him in his pocket and just pulls him out. Those are dirty. Those Come are on. dirty snakes. Booty snakes. Yes, booty, booty snakes. snakes. And if they double, triple, or homer, you know, they're not getting those snakes. So no, they do. Yeah. he's got, Well, he's got to oh, pay oh. up in the dugout afterwards. They I, make sure. Oh, I heard that he actually jogs out, gets their equipment, I'm and sure gives if they're them on, a snake. If they're on second, he yeah, might. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, on third, they have to pay up, okay. though. Yeah, yeah, I think. Third home run. I'm not sure. It's, jury's still out. We need a full report. Steven Schock, where is the answer? Big Donkey 47 is going to get the answer on ORU. If anybody's going to do it, it's going to be him. Well, we got our answer before LSU even played their second game on who would be the new Jello Shot King. Oh, my God. And it is <laughs> the LSU Fighting Tigers. 21,435 shots as of 5 p.m. on Monday. Yeah. That was just – That number's gone up, by the way. That number has gone up. Uh, day four of the tournament, not even four days fully complete. LSU hadn't even played their second game yet. They were readying to take on Wake Forest – in that thriller on Monday night, Todd Graves, who is the founder CEO of Raisin Canes, which is based in Baton Rouge and is a, a company, a franchise, a, a restaurant brand that has just exploded over the last handful of years. The best 
chicken fingers that you will find ever, ever across America, pro- across the globe. Like they're in other countries now. Mm-hmm. Todd Graves stepped up to the plate, bought six thousand shots to set the record. It became a Guinness World Book book record. It became uh, again the record at Rocco's now all time. And fans, I've seen some opposing fans, you know, gripe over, oh, well, you know, if, if Ole Miss had, had an alum that would have stepped up to the plate. They or, did. <laughs> dude, records are meant to be broken. Like yeah. somebody's going to step If Tennessee is going to be upset about this, go get Peyton Manning and bring him over to Rocco's. He's there. And let He's it, in yeah, Omaha. Let him throw 10 Gs down. Yeah. Or 15. It's a drop in the bucket. Yeah. Who cares? That, that's what makes this fun. Like, don't get butt hurt over the fact that LSU had and, – and people are like, oh, he's not an alum because he didn't graduate. Okay, he's an LSU guy. Yeah. Okay? He lives he, in Baton Rouge. He, out of spite for a professor when he went to LSU, when he wrote an entrepreneurial paper that he was going to make a restaurant that, that sold just chicken fingers, okay, he, he went and did what he did and created a chicken finger empire, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. So, yeah, Todd Graves helping to push LSU across the 18,000-plus or whatever it was for Ole Miss a year ago uh, in the Jell-O Shot Challenge at Rocco's. Good on the Tigers. Uh, the video is out there. Go find it on Twitter. Just a spectacular video. Uh, everybody is so hype, as you would imagine. That new 16-foot bar is, is really getting broken in in, in ways um, we all expect it because I think I told you and, and you agreed or you might have said it first. I'm like, look, they, they sold collectively, was it like 30,000 31,235 last year, I think, last was year. the number. And yeah. I said, well, they better be ready for 50, minimum. LSU's going to get 50 on their own. Dude, they're know. probably at 25 now as of this morning. They're going to be going hard today. By the way, for anybody who is against what LSU's doing with their boosters and you know high-paying alumni who are going to do that, not on this podcast. We are Kaniacs, and I'm showing my Kaniac club card. We are Kaniac podcasters here, baby. All right? We are true Kaniacs. We both love Raising Canes. Do not come at us with this hate for Raising Canes CEO, founder, Todd Graves. He is a showman. And I love what he did. He actually bought it the day before to set the record. He waited for the time when his purchase would set the record, but told, you know, Jevo, the Jello Shot company that's in Omaha, hey, I'm buying 6K. When, when the opportunity strikes to break the record, you tell me, and I'm buying 6K of Jello Shots, which is $30,000, a fifth of which, I believe, maybe a little bit more, so $6,000 is going to uh, food banks, a food bank in LSU. So he's giving back to the community, and he just broke the record for LSU. He was like, I want to be the one to do it, and he did it. So I love it. Apparently the previous record, too, I'm trying to find the number. It was like 5,000-something. was 5,000, like 95. Yeah, somebody bought like a, a single order of Jello shots. That's the Guinness World Record for the number of Jello shots purchased. Um, I, you know, let, let's talk Ma- about this. Merrill Haggard. Yeah. World, had the world record set in 1983 when he bought 5,095 shots for the entire bar. Let's talk about this because somebody brought this up. Yeah, you know, we'll just bring him up. Zach Jewell brought this up on Twitter to me. Yeah. Former, former Learfield employee, still, you know, avid follower of college baseball. He brought up the fact that he thinks if you bought the jello shots, it shouldn't count unless your fans consume the jello shots. I think that's baloney. You pay for the Jello shots; they count towards your team. Because guess what? You're not going to consume six thousand Jello shots by yourself. Todd Graves took those shots and threw them into the crowd, which, 
by and large, was purple and gold. I mean, LSU was there in full force. They were pregaming hard for Wake LSU yeah. last night. But who cares? It's go, money's going to charity. Throw them into the throw them into the people. Give back to the people. We're giving free alcohol in in, in Omaha, and it's Jello shots. Like they're they're tiny. When you host a party, and I think I'm in this age bracket because I think of this like over my vacation in Chicago last week. Like when you go over to somebody's house and they're hosting a party Saturday, we had a big get together with one of my best friends, and uh, it, it's almost like you offer to bring something yeah. to the party, but like it's not. We're past the days, really, of a BYOB. Yeah. You know, like, that's more of, like, your early 20s, mid-20s. might trickle, you know, late into early 30s. But at one point, there's a level of sophistication comes in where if you're hosting a party, like, you're loading up that additional fridge, the beer fridge, which I always remember as a kid growing <laughs> up, you know, that would be out in the garage <laughs> or, you know, in, in the basement. And it would just be, you know, head to toe. With, with all of these different alcoholic beverages and items and, and the food and everything else. Like, it's, um, if you're hosting and you're volunteering, like, there's a certain amount of pride that comes with, I want to take care of everybody and I'm going to flush this table with the appropriate food, this cooler with drinks, fridge with, with everything. You take it upon yourself because you are a tremendous host. Todd Graves is doing the same thing right here. He's like, look, I take so much pride and responsibility. Okay, and my people from Baton Rouge, LSU, school means so much to me, the community, the town. Like, I want to give back, and I want to be a part of the reason. I don't want to be the sole reason. Like, he's not looking for all the spot. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of them. It's like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll take the spotlight, sure. you know. Um, but at the same time, the reason behind, and charity is, is involved here, which, which is what I think makes it more excusable than Absolutely. anything, to, to your point. He says, hey, I'm going to buy $6,000 worth of shots. What is that? Six hundred? He says you buy six thousand shots. Six thousand shots, which thirty thousand dollars. Thirty thousand dollars. I'm putting down. He's a man of the people. He's going to spread it. He's going to throw them all out. Whoever wants to enjoy them can enjoy them. It could be fans of other teams. The number one underlying reason of why this why this ended up a result of the way it is is an LSU guy bought them. They're going to be credited to LSU. Like how they're used after that, I don't think makes a difference. Nope. Uh, I agree with you, and uh, I would pity a fool who would say otherwise. Well, okay, pity Zach Jewell. So, um, Mr. Tagres, Mr. LSU himself, uh, did that. So, good on you, my friend. Good on you. But, uh, yeah, over the weekend, you know, Saturday I show up with my buddies. Like, still, the person in me, like, I want to bring someone to the party. So, i got a 30-rack of Bush Light yeah. that I'm still showing up with. Yeah. Um, but, but you're sharing it with everyone. But he's got, you know, that I'm throwing in the cooler, but he's got a whole whole fridge filled with IPAs and other specialty beers. I show there he's got he's got some some jewel, some jewel Osco like wing yeah. situation going on, which is our one of our grocery store. Terrific food. We also, you know, made brats, we made burgers, we made hot dogs, oh. we grilled out. He had all the meats. He had everything. You know, plus the chips and dip, uh salsa chips. It, it was all there, and it was all provided. I just brought the case yeah. of Bush Light. It's just Dude, an extra. Perfect example. When, when you host your illustrious pool parties, people, you know, your your neighbor. Dude, y'all are talking about bringing desserts well, I, to a pool party? Me, first that of is, all. That, is that wasn't me. But your neighbor, Jake, is so gracious with his alcohol, yes, and he just yes. asked us to bring some snacks, and we all share with everyone. Some snacks, yeah. So, like, you know. Case in point, local back, local flair right there. Back to Raising Cane's. There's one, uh, kitty, I say Kitty Corner. I think technically it's Caddy Corner, but uh, Kitty Corner from Wrigley Field now. Uh, I think it's been there a couple of years. 
But oh, it's, I know it's, where I'm it's going. It's right month. there. It's right there across <clears throat> the street. Placing my order right now, Racing Canes. I'll be there a month from today. Box combo, no slaw, extra toast, and eliminate. Thank so you. So when you're when you're standing in front of the Wrigley Marquee there on Clark and Addison, yeah. Just look a little bit as you're looking at the marquee. Just look to about nine o'clock, and you'll see the sign right Lovely. there. Oh, it's, it's right there. How was Pudge's first Cubs game? It was amazing. Such a rad dad moment. Uh, she was so excited, so impressed, speechless. I got terrific videos of you it. Did. It was uh, it was amazing. It, it was super cold. <laughs> I saw you under the blanket. You Dude, like we you had. Were dying. I had to buy a throw blanket <laughs> at the Cubs shop that cost as much as my two tickets combined. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I got. I, I knew a guy who hooked me up with tickets for like thirty bucks each uh, for first level, underneath the uh, second level down the first base line. So I paid sixty bucks for two tickets that I Venmoed him, and he he sent me the exchange through the MLB Ballpark app. Okay. And the throw blanket was like fifty eight bucks with tax. <laughs> so, but it had to happen. Yeah, you, you had yeah. to have it. Uh, we also got. A Chicago dog, which which yes. what makes a Chicago dog is the Vienna beef. Yep. Because that's the way the hot dog is made. It's a Vienna beef dog. So, you know, my daughter, she loves she loves Chicago hot dogs, but she forgets how much she loves Chicago hot dogs until she bites into it. Mm -hmm. And uh, her face was just, again, to die for, spectacular. But walking around Wrigley, I didn't even tell her, like, we're coming down Waveland, which is what goes behind the outfield wall. So we're walking down Waveland. We go past you know, all these vendors, you're seeing how impressive Wrigley is to your ride. And, and again, it's been built up so much. It's unrecognizable from what it was, uh, I used to say five years ago, but now it's more like 10 years ago, uh, just because it's, it's its own village. And that's what all these ballparks are going towards, right? Like it becomes, and Wrigleyville always kind of provided that with the bars and, um, you know, the, the merchandise stands and, and, and the merchandise stores. But it was always very an old, you know, vintage feel type neighborhood. Now it's become super commercialized and just redone and, and just renovated so much more modern um, and loud. And, and, and even the bar scene has turned into you still have your old classic bars, but you have tons of club type bars, too, at the same time. So it's it's a it's a very it's a mosh posh, if you will. But we're walking down Waveland. You got you got the um, firehouse right right behind the left field foul pole. They sell all their merchandise. Everybody's trying to make a buck, you know. So we're walking out Waveland. She's looking. She's impressed. We get to center field. You got the back of the mechanical scoreboard. It says Chicago Cubs. Statue of, Wrigley, of uh, Harry Carey out there. We take a couple pictures. I'm like, look, this is Murphy's Bleachers over here as a bar, which you should definitely hit up in right center field, okay. right beyond the center field scoreboard. Um, and then we walk down right field, okay, and then we turn and, and come back up down the first baseline. We, we're in front of the marquee. She's seen the marquee for the first time. So it's been like a 10-minute walk around the whole stadium. And I'm like, isn't this cool? Like, this is so awesome. Like, I just wanted to take you around here and, and check out the stadium so you could take it in. And then we look at the marquee, and I was like, how, how awesome is that? She's like, that is so cool. And I'm like, you want to go in? Like, are you ready to, to experience the Cubs game? She's like, what? And I was like, let's go watch the game. Like, that's your surprise. And, and me, you know, being the dad I am, like, I know she's not fully like, yeah. uh, like she's like, what? We're going in? Like, I, I think she'll look back. And remember that moment, you know, more uh, joyfully as maybe she did in the mo. Like she appreciated her jaw it. dropped. Yeah, it, yeah. it did. But like, I I don't know if her excitement and enthusiasm matched what mine was no. fully. Because again, she's a kid, yeah. but she was super stoked and excited to go in. And then we, you know, we went over into like the field turf, like party area that's that's in front of the Cub Shop outside, which again is part of their whole renovation and everything. And they had you know music. It, it was an ALS game, so they had a lot of activities going on to 
create awareness for ALS and, you know, go into the store, come back out, go into the stadium, get the dog. She sees the stadium for the first time walking up the stairs. Like, there's nothing like it. You know, to see the joy in your kid, like, I feel like we, we all take that stuff for granted, especially us that are, are older and are around sports and go to games and go to stadiums, you know, quite a bit. To think about just the, the congeniality or the innocence that comes along with, you know, somebody who experiences that for a first time, like it's uh, – and when you have a child – it's uh, it's amazing. It's incredible. So, but yeah, very cold. Cubs um came back. They won at seven to two. Swept the Pirates. Been playing a lot better here uh recently. Yeah. So it was good. But it, the walk we were freezing back. You know, we parked by my sister, uh, who lives 15 minutes away in the Southport neighborhood. So she hooked me over the parking pass. So we had a 15 minute walk after, and we we're just wrapped up. You know, in the blanket. You know, walking. So. Uh, but even downtown earlier, you know, now we're really right next to the lake. Like, it was so cold. And we just had shorts and a hoodie. So, it's, uh, it's like, what are we doing, man? It's June. Like, yeah. I need to look at the weather more. I get it. Like, that's my failure yeah. as a dad, for sure. Even on my golf trip a week earlier. Didn't look at the weather ahead of time. And, and I, I paid the price, yeah. you know. So. Listen, you didn't, you didn't fail as a dad. You know why? Because you created a magical moment for your daughter. Santa Claus came er- – Santa Shass. Came, came early this year not even christmas in july christmas in june for pudge so you you did a great thing and i could tell from the video that i watched which was spectacular that she was just enthralled by every single little bit of it you you saw her walk into wrigley for the first time and see the field and she was like whoa this is so yeah. cool like that was awesome so well well done by you hat tip of of the year to you thank you yes warm my heart certainly did memorable trip uh it was good to uh to provide her that, and uh, yeah, came in the throes of the start of the College World Series, and somehow, some way, I was able to uh, pay just enough attention over yeah. the last few days. But uh, got back into town on Sunday night, so uh, here for the final, uh, the final stretch run as we close out the the baseball season on the College Diamond. We've got games with Oral Roberts and TCU at two o'clock on Tuesday, LSU Tennessee at seven o'clock Eastern on Tuesday. Both of those are elimination games. Javian Coleman against Drew Beam uh, is the matchup in the nightcap. Have we seen anything pitching-wise on Royal Roberts, TCU? I don't don't know. I haven't looked. I'm sure they're out. Uh, While you look that up, I have some numbers that I want you to react to, Shaz, and some cool stats. You mentioned six of the eight games have been decided by one run. Yes. There has not been an unearned run through eight games. Really? Yes. All the runs have been earned. I checked. I double-checked. And you have the box scores up, so you can triple-check me. But they are unearned. They are all earned runs. Every single run has been earned in the College World Dude, Series through eight that's games. That's insane. Right? That's wild. Here's some more. Uh, the top two teams in the driver's seat, which, by the way, first time in the 64-team tournament era that the number one and number two teams in the country are in the driver's seat at the College World Series. First time in, in that era since 99. Wow. That, that's the 64-team era. That number one, number two have been in those brackets 2-0. and Okay. Florida's hitting just 215 in two games. Wake Forest is hitting 193, and they're both 2 0. What's Florida's average? 215. And Wake's hitting under, under the Mendoza 200. line, 193, and they're both 2 0. That's how good their pitching has been. Because when you look at the pitching numbers, and I told you I ran some numbers this morning, and they're, they're just all over the place. Wake has the best ERA in the tournament, and even two ERA. Their bullpen is not allowed to run in six and two thirds. Florida. Their ERA is 4.5 before you go, oh, that's high. That's a quality start, so stop. It's fine. Their starters, 2.92 ERA in 12 and a third innings. They go into just four runs. Their bullpen, eight runs, eight, eight, near 80 ERA. But bullpens have been solid. 
TCU actually has the best ERA among starters at 1.86. Tennessee has the worst. Virginia had the worst bullpen ERA at 9.45. And Tennessee has the worst overall ERA in the tournament at 5.29. Worse than Stanford, worse than Virginia, who are both eliminated. Wow. Yes. I appreciate those hot, tasty nuggets. Yes. Um, the, the batting averages for Wake Forest and Florida, I think, are the most mind-boggling, along yeah. with every single run being being earned uh, to this point. The thing about Wake Forest is, too, like their defense hasn't been sharp. No, but Justin I, Johnson made two errors last night. But I'm, I'm looking solely on Monday night. When you see that sun, dude, they got to do something about that. Yeah. I don't know what you do, but like neither you can't see. As a hitter, you can't pick up the ball mm-hmm. through the strike zone. Those shadows are just – they're otherworldly. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it was Ciceri in left yeah. who missed the ball. Well, I he mean, wasn't wearing his sunglasses, but I'm not sure how much that would help. Yeah, because well, the sunglasses, will, and you heard. Um, Eduardo Perez. You heard Perez. Yeah. You heard Peterson. You heard Ravich. You know, talk about that. It, it, you're making it too dark mm-hmm. when you're pulling down the shades because you're having to look through the shadows initially, yeah. and it's impossible to pick up the baseball. Yeah, they were so, saying you got to wear them like this, like down your nose like an old person reading a book. Yeah. Like, I don't know I, what don't more. You can do, but that's I don't remember the shadows being as I don't either significant of a uh, of a variable to have to contend with. And it's not like these games have gone long, right? All these games have been on time, minus the one hour lightning delay yeah. for Wake Forest and Stanford. There was no rain in the area; it was just lightning within eight miles. All the games have been on time. They've finished. They've had. They haven't delayed any starts, minus the delay before LSU Tennessee on Saturday. So, yeah, I, but I don't remember the sun being as much of a factor as it has been in the previous College World Series that we have watched. Uh, speaking of Wake Forest, they're not allowed to wear white or anything other than white ever again. They're 23-0 and in a primarily white jersey this year. Oh. If, if they wear a black jersey, a gold jersey, or any jersey that's not white, if they were, have to wear a gray jersey, they're done. I mean, they haven't lost in a white jersey. And the best part about those whites are... It seems like several of the players, if not the majority of them, all lose a button each yes. time something yes. sensational happens in their favor. Yes. Like, they just continue to undress themselves yes. on the dugout, in the field, bare chest, everything. Mm-hmm. It is uh, – and who was the pitcher for Wake that came in first in relief? Ramon? Last night, Cole, Ro- Cole Rowland. Rowland. Yeah. He's like – public enemy number one when it yes. comes to like undressing himself on the mound he and dude, he's all it's all off speed stuff dude does this every time i was like are you nervous and apparently no that's his motion like that's that's how he settles himself he like does one of these one of this and just like a back and forth it's a bunch of herky jerky and then i was like okay i'm ready here we go and then yeah. fires in 98 and i'm like oh Roland okay. came in two-thirds of an inning, but, like, he's not a, a high-velocity guy. Like, no. he's all curveball changeup, too. It's not like But he can throw hard. It's, oh, God. Um, so, yeah, the, the Wake Forest chronicling the, the jerseys and how many buttons are buttoned or unbuttoned throughout the game for a, for a Wake Forest team, especially those white ones. It, it shows that much more. So, uh, fun fact on, on the uniforms. One thing we haven't touched on before we wrap up, and you can add anything else. Again, ORU-TCU, 2 o'clock Tuesday, LSU-Tennessee at 7, elimination games. The winner of ORU-TCU will meet Florida at 2 on Wednesday, okay? And if Florida wins, that's it. They're in, they're in the series final, representing bracket number one. If Oral Roberts or TCU were to beat the Gators 
on Wednesday. They would then play a final game, winner of the championship series, but that final game will be played on Thursday. Friday is a built-in off day. Mm -hmm. Winner of LSU-Tennessee on Tuesday will face Wake Forest in the nightcap Wednesday, 7 o'clock. Same uh, calculus applies here where if LSU or Tennessee were to beat Wake Forest on Wednesday, those two teams would then meet again on Thursday. Uh, to determine the winner of bracket number two to represent the championship series against either Florida or Roberts or TCU. So we're down to six. Again, Virginia and Stanford both go 0-2. One more uh, note on Oral Roberts and the Florida game on Sunday night, which was one of those tight ones, 5-4. Florida was ahead. Oral Roberts was mounting a comeback. They had an inside-the-park home run. Yeah, you know, Matt we've Hogan. Had, That's we've right. had that kind of drama uh, here, but we've also had mound visit drama. Oh. And I'm wondering how much, because I've heard so many different reports and takes and hypothesis on what exactly went down. I still don't think I've heard the correct thing. So I, I'm going to give you my yeah. take on what happened. So Brandon Neely's in, right? Yes. Our all-world closer mm -hmm. for Florida. In the seventh inning. This is in the seventh inning. Well, what I think happened was, and the nuts and bolts of it is, Kevin O'Sullivan used one too many mound visits, conferences, however you want to slice it, mm -hmm. where – he was forced to have to remove Neely before he had intended to because he didn't realize he was exhausting the final yes. visit. Sorry, this is the eighth inning, by the way, not the okay. seventh. My bad. So everyone <clears> – <throat> and this is a moment of panic because ORU is mounting a comeback. There are runners on base, and all of a sudden you got to remove Neely, and you don't have anybody ready in the pen. I think it was Cam Fisher who Cade had Fisher, yeah, Cade, they brought Cade, Cade yeah. Fisher who had to come in, and somehow, some way. He gets them out. They escape. They hang on. They end up winning five to four. But holy smokes, to put yourself in that position of peril. But what I think happened, Com, was, you know, there there was a delay and a review of some sort. And um, I don't think it was the total number amount. And and you could tell me I'm I'm just dead wrong. I don't think it was the total number of overall visits that you're given. Remember, it's uh, what is it? It's six and three can be player induced defensively. Three can be a coach. Three so can six, be a coach. You're allowed. This is Rule 6, Section 5, Letter F. Teams are allowed six defensive mound visits per game, only three yes. with a coach. Okay. I don't think it was Kevin O'Sullivan exhausting what might have been the third or was out there for the third or fourth. He very well could have. I think it was the fact Neely had gone – or um, uh, Ryapel, yep, I believe, it. had gone out earlier that's to correct. discuss – so we're not even talk we're not talking about I think people are confusing the six mm -hmm. visits and the three by a coach and mm -hmm. thinking that was what was being exhausted. Mm -hmm. No, it was the fact like let's go back to the root of what visits are for, for the longest time that we can remember in our lifetime. If you visit the same pitcher for the second time in an inning, he's gotta be pulled. Well, O'Sullivan didn't go out. So that's two, you have to do two coach visits to pull him. Okay. So so what happened you're right, Ryapel exhausted the sixth visit. What okay. happened was is there was a call at first base that the Gators challenged. Oral Roberts was sa called safe. The Gators challenged it and lost. They upheld the call. So you're right. B.T. Ryapel then after that walked to the mound to talk to Brandon Neely. That was the sixth mound visit defensively. They had no more. O'Sullivan didn't mark it gotcha. and went out yeah. later in the inning to go talk to Neely, and the home plate umpire goes, Oh, hey, hey. That's seven. He's out. You have to take him out. Can't do that. And O'Sullivan was like, what? Are you? Oh, okay. Like, what are you going to do? Like, the umpire tracks that. 
the Gators track it. O'Sull Kevin O'Sullivan said afterwards, he's like, look, we, we track that in, in our book. Like, I don't know how I messed that up. He said he talked to the umpire before he went out there, before the inning started. He said, I misinterpreted what he said. Like, he's like, we keep that on our charts. Yeah. He was flabbergasted that he messed it up. He apologized to his team after the game. He said, you sure, know, like, I'm we sure got your back. Super, super embarrassed. Yeah. Right? Like, hey, that's on me. Yeah. They, you know, they said they, we have your back, but like, dude, imagine if they lose that game because exactly. they had to take out Neely. Exactly. So, uh, but you're, so, you were right. You, you basically had it completely right. Ryapel exhausted visit number six in total. Okay. Kevin O'Sullivan had not gone. He had not gone out. Pro- right. Okay. That's what I was trying to understand. Yes. Like, maybe it wasn't that the, the visits were the six visits were exhausted. Maybe it was O'Sullivan who had actually gone out to Neely at another time, but that was O'Sullivan's first visit to Neely. Yes. But the, of the inning of the inning. Yes. But the visits had been exhausted by Ryopel going out yes. and making that sixth visit, which is something O'Sullivan did not track. Now in a big league ballpark, I noticed this at Wrigley. Those are all on the, on the scoreboard. Mm-hmm. They got the visits mm-hmm. up there. So every, I don't know if they're on in Omaha. They're, they're not, they're not, okay. they're not. Um, and that's something that you wonder. But they track, like, Kevin O'Sullivan's like, we have that on our yeah. chart. Like, I marked down when we go visit. And he's like, I just, I didn't mark it. Yeah. I, I just, I messed up. I did not mark BT going out and talking to Neely earlier in the inning. He had, well, fortunately, Florida found a way, right? Yeah. And in spite of their batting average, in spite of Wake's average, and for the first time since 1999, the top two seeded teams, top two overall seeds are each uh, 2-0 and mm-hmm. uh, to begin play through four days of action at Charles Schwab Field in Omaha, Nebraska. So the College World Series will continue Tuesday and Wednesday. We've outlined those games. Uh, go to ESPN, ESPN Plus even, which has been great for me as somebody that's not a cable subscriber yeah. of anybody. Like, I don't have to chase it or, or go out and, and find it anywhere else. Like, I have ESPN Plus, so I can pull it out that way. So you can check out the broadcast beginning at 2 o'clock, 2 and 7 on Tuesday, 2 and 7 o'clock on Wednesday also, Thursday, if necessary, Friday, a built-in off day in the championship series begins on Saturday. Also, Con, the Varsity Network app. Oh, yeah. Came in the clutch for me on the road, uh, driving up both Friday, day one. Mm-hmm. Other con- no. Fr- who was playing on Friday? Did I have anything to listen to on Friday, yeah, fr- driving up? Well, you Westwood one. Yeah, but who was playing? T- TCU and Oral Roberts. Oh, yeah, that was game. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was still Super Regionals that I was able to listen to. On Friday of me driving. Oh, oh yes, my yes, vaca- yes. Look, yes. I was gone for nine you're days. You're right, you're right. Sorry. So I had Super, re- I had super Regionals yeah. to listen to uh, on Friday, even Saturday. Mm-hmm. But on my way back home, uh, coming back on Sunday, uh, yeah. TCU and Virginia, as well as Oral Roberts and Florida, I was locked into. Yeah, but you can get uh, Wake Forest, Tennessee, Florida, all local feeds on the Varsity Network app, and then you can get the Westwood One broadcast as well. We don't have feeds for LSU, Oral Roberts, or TCU uh, for, for on the Varsity app for you. But if you want Wake, Florida, Tennessee, we got you. Dial it up. Dial it up, the Varsity Network app. Download it now if you haven't already. We know you have. He's David Kahn at SportsCon4. I'm Kyle Schasberger at Kyle Schass. Cerber, no idea where he is. Vacation? I don't know. I'm not sure. We're, dude, everyone's on vacation at, right now. We're, at we're, L underscore Cerberino if you want to yeah. follow him. We're back Thursday to talk either preview the finals or possible elimination games and preview the finals or winner take all, game sevens. We don't know. We, we, we have to wait and see. We don't. And then should we – well, maybe you and I should – Maybe we should wait till Friday, though, for the built-in off day. Oh, maybe we should. I think we should. Okay. I think that's probably the smart move. All right. 
Friday. Let, let's wait until we have our championship series. All right. Friday it is. Well, just, hey, listen, just made an executive if we, decision. If we on have the it fly. Thursday, we can do it Thursday. Yes. If if there's no game right. Thursday, we can do we'll it come to you Thursday. So whenever the championship series is set, that next day, you get to stare at our beautiful mugs again for another hour plus right here on CS Now Tweets and on the Varsity Channel on YouTube. And we'll we will preview the final two teams of the college baseball season. We only have two more podcasts left, Shaz. That's it. We have one more to preview the finals, and then we have the recap next Tuesday. That's it. I'm going to withhold comment. Oh. Bye. <laughs>